I hope I don't insult German people. Well, this is... I don't have to put this in the podcast. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's okay. But I can. Ready? Is this like the only Viking song we know? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's also the best Viking song. Even if I knew a million other Viking songs, it would still be the best because it's one of the best songs ever. True, but how would you know? Like, if you don't know any other Viking songs, how would you know this is the best one? Well, you know, you know that if you feel the best you've ever felt in the world and whether or not there's any room to feel any better. And when you listen to the immigrant song, you know that there's no room for improvement. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know that there's no room for improvement. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is the pinnacle. You've hit the ceiling of musical enjoyment. Okay. And your body knows. <laughs> and I'm dancing on it. Mm-hmm. <gasps> is the homunculus coming back? No. I took a big breath. So okay. I can do our intro. Okay. I gotta do it again. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Limited Playtime, the board game podcast where we bring you board game reviews in 30 minutes or less. Or the next episode is free. I am Kyle Bolin. And I am Jason Cavallari. And we hope that you guys are ready for more Vikings, not Cthulhu. Ha ha! We had you worried for a minute, didn't we? <laughs> it is going to be a tentacleless episode. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I was trying to make a joke there about how we could fit some tentacles into A Feast for Odin, the game we are talking about today, but I, I can't actually think of anything. Yeah, no, that's not a good, uh, so not a good you, setup. You, you know, <laughs> no, you could make a tentacle-looking monster out of all those pieces you put in your house? I suppose you could, but that wouldn't be a very effective way to play the game. <laughs> today we are talking about A Feast for Odin, published by Z-Man Games, at least here in America, designed by Uwe Rosenberg, with art by Dennis Lohausen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Feast for Odin, if uh, if you're not familiar with the name Uwe Rosenberg, Uwe Rosenberg is the designer of Agricola, Caverna, uh, Patchwork. Bonanza. He did that one, too. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a fairly well-celebrated designer. He has designed many of the, like, top probably, like, 20 or 30 games on Board Game Geek. Uh, he is, I think, like, as much as... As any modern German game or Euro game designer can be celebrated, he is celebrated. Mm-hmm. Did you see that's yeah, right? And, yeah, and I'd have to say, like, amongst the German game designers, I feel like I enjoy a larger percentage of his games than of many others. Yeah, I haven't tried many of them. I've tried this. I've, you know, I've played a lot of this. I've played a lot of Agricola, and I've played yeah. Patchwork, and that's kind of it. I've never played Caverna. I guess I played Bonanza once, and I didn't enjoy it. Um Oh, see, Bonanza is one of my favorite games. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. found it. We Scott and I tried playing it, and it, it just lasted forever and was just super dry and boring to us. That's weird because it has a timer. Uh, well, we didn't like you play through that. the deck three times. <laughs> yeah, but it took forever because the deck's super thick. Well, it gets thinner each time because you keep this. Wait, this isn't part of the review. No, I know. You keep you keep some of the cards as like uh, like a score scoring thing. Yeah, it, it, so I each time know. you reshuffle I, the it's deck, it's been a while. Smaller. I just remember we had a bad time. Anyway, I like Agricola <laughs> and I like Patchwork. Those other games are great. So thumbs up to Uve overall for me. Even though Bonanza didn't 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 tickle my pickle. 
<laughs> it didn't tickle your wax bean. My bean, yeah. All right. <laughs> so, feast for Odin. I just said you had a wax bean for a penis. Well, sorry, sorry, Kyle. Feast for Odin. <laughs> Afo. Afo uh, is a game about Vikings. You are playing. You are you are a faction of Vikings, I suppose, and you are doing your best to try to go out and be the best Viking you can be, better than all the other Viking clans at the table or Viking groups or whatever they're called. Uh, and the game is played in a number of rounds, and at the end of each round, you feast for Odin, which means that you've got to feed your clan or whatever sort of like in <laughs> how agricola you've got to feed your family at the end of a round same thing here there's penalties if you don't do it um you don't get anything by doing it right you just don't get any penalties uh yeah. and, and this game in particular is it can feel very 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 almost punishing at first when looking at it because you start out with a massively negative score and you work your way out of the hole and then try to get into the positives and see how high you can get uh, and how that works is like you've got a home board and the home board is just covered in lots of little spaces that have a negative one on them. Um, <laughs> it is kind of daunting to look at this whole grid that's covered with <laughs> negative numbers and be yeah. like, what the hell? Uh, that and also just the dauntingness of the entire table when you look at it because well, there's yeah. like how like a dozen boards out and like two trays just full of all kinds of little uh, tiles that you can collect and buy and everything and trade up yeah. with. And one one of those boards has all the actions you can take, and there's like a gross of them. It's like sixty or something. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It, it at its heart, it it is a a worker placement game, like action selection game. Uh, that that board that Jason just ref, referenced is where you do the worker placement at. Uh, but then after that, you're bringing you're using that worker placement system to basically like acquire things. Um, the things might be food to feed your your Vikings. It might be animal skins and furs and stuff like that that you might be able to then trade up into you know silverware or weapons or whatever. And and so like there's a bunch of different actions you can do. You can go in all kinds of different directions. You can be a trader. You can be an explorer. You can go out and conquer new lands. You can um, go out and whale. You can go hunting. Uh, you can go conquering. What? No, they call it raiding, right? Raiding and pillaging. There's yeah, raiding, raiding and pillaging yeah. ac- actions that you can take. And so there's like and none a, of these things are exclusive, by the way. Like you can do all of these things. It's not you like can, you choose yeah, a path yeah, and you you're like, I'm go going to be a pillager. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that you can kind of like go down a path and kind of like min max yourself on a path. Uh, that might be an effective way to play the game. I, I haven't played it enough to know. Yeah, um, I, I found that a couple times playing solo, that if I focused on a couple things like that, you still have to kind of like generalize a little bit in order to cover, you know, cover some of the weaknesses and, and make sure you're bringing back the, uh, the right amount of stuff to to cover up all those negative spaces. But you know, it does feel like you can kind of like you know min max a, a strategy, and, and you might be able to, I don't know, like. I don't know, do a little bit better doing that. I don't know. This is a game where it, it's just so broad and also so deep that it's impossible for me to sit here and say, I've got it figured out. This strategy works, you know. Um, it, it feels like you could definitely do one thing or the other, really, I guess is the way that I should be phrasing this. Yeah, I mean, I I see your point. I mean, the, the and I if, correct me if I'm wrong, because we only played this once and we started it at midnight. So I'm not mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not entirely like up on all the rules. And we played it like a while ago. So it's a little fuzzy. But um, some of the actions that you can take require you to have taken other actions of like a different track. Well, yeah. So you might have to have certain resources that then get like turned in for 
the the right. later on for these like subsequent actions in order to right. So you like take them. What, which those resources might require you to hunt one turn, and then right. the next turn you can use or them buy to a cow, do whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Or like a boat, build a boat, but in order right. to do that, you need wood yeah. and all exactly. That stuff. Yeah. yeah, you can't go. You can't go like conquer Greenland and bring it back to you. Haul Greenland back to your Viking table, uh, <laughs> and you can't do that until you got a boat to haul Greenland back on. <laughs> it's a big boat. It's yeah, you use the, the big boat. The little chubby boat is for whaling. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> The chubby whaler. Mm-hmm. So once you get all this stuff, you're basically playing sort of like Patchwork, if you've seen that, another Uwe Rosenberg game. You're kind of playing a game of Tetris back at your house once you have all these different items. And they, they come in several different colors. There's, uh, like, is, I think it's like orange and red colors are food. Uh, yes. And, and then there's like green is sort of like basic items that you might get from animals and stuff like furs and oil from whales and things like that. Um, and then you can kind of upgrade those things. And when you upgrade the greens, they turn into blue items, which can be like, you know, uh, nice coats and shirts and silverware. Yeah. Basically like more like treasures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more more treasury in nature and the rule with placement for this patchwork or for the patchwork for the Tetris part (laughs) of the game is that you can't have any green items touching other green items in your house. You can put in green or blue items. So like not the food stuff. Uh, and you can't have green touching green, but you can have blue touching blue, and you can have blue touching green. So you start playing this game of like trying to upgrade the green stuff that you got so that you can be a little bit more flexible with where you put it in your home to both – well, both – you're doing two things when you cover stuff up in your home. You're, you're increasing the amount of gold or silver income you get at the end of every round because uh, that's one of these sort of tracks that exists on the board, and, and you, you increase it by covering up the numbers, uh, but also by covering up the yeah. negative numbers that count against you at the end of the game. Yeah, and the more you upgrade something, usually the larger it is and the more negative numbers it will cover. Yeah, yeah, the big yeah. pieces. They're big, chunky pieces. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't remember how the game ends. Is it just after the last round? Yeah, so there's two lengths of the game. There's a six-round game and a seven-round game. You just pick whichever one you want to do, whether you want to do the short game or the long game. And once the final Feast for Odin or the final round has occurred, then you basically tally up all your negative points, all your positive points, which generally come from big things like um, like bringing back an island, right? Like bringing back Greenland. Um, or you can emigrate your ships. So like when you buy a boat, you can use that boat through the whole game. But towards the end of the game, you might want to think about emigrating it, which basically means like you're shipping these uh, Vikings off to another land. And you flip that boat over, and now it's worth a big chunk of points. And it also goes on your Viking feast table so that it takes up a couple of the spaces that otherwise would have had to been filled with food. So it makes it easier yeah. to fill your Vikings towards the end of the game while also being worth positive points in the end. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, you know, like ends up being worth a bunch of points in the end. And you, and you tally all that up after that final round. And whoever has the most points or the fewest negative points <laughs> is, I guess, Odin? <laughs> you've ascended to godhood <laughs> yeah you have to sacrifice an eye but you get all that wisdom so it's probably worth it in the end <laughs> and people you know serve you food yeah many yeah. feasts yeah and then, and then there's feasting <laughs> the feasting mm-hmm. salted um, meat yum <laughs> so uh what do you do you like this game yeah do you like this game <laughs> i kind of do i mean again it's this <laughs> comes with this sort of usual uh you know caveats that i was just saying is like i've only played it once and i played it sort of late at night and i'm sure i played it quite wrongly but even if i did and i know i didn't win the game like i uh, but you know you wouldn't you would not win this game the first time 
Well, I kind of figured, you know, after you see the thing, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no way I'm winning this game. But uh, but even though I didn't, I still enjoyed I enjoyed playing the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, which it's also a little unusual for me because sometimes it takes me a long time to warm up to a Euro game. And mm-hmm. this seems like a pretty heavy Euro game. <laughs> um I mean, it's, uh, just in terms of like the number of the number of actions that are available yeah, and sort of true. the yeah. the progression of things and, and all this kind of stuff. The but, complexity though is pretty low, like as yeah. far as euros go. I mean, like it's up there. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like Agricola can almost be harder than this in some ways. Um, like Agricola can be a little bit more punishing. This game is only punishing if you neglect a bunch of stuff, but you don't realize it until the very end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely feel like feel that like by the end of the game, I was I had a better understanding of like, oh, I see, I should have done this right, and more it's more than I did, and it's a lesson you learned that first time, and it would have really impacted a second game had you played one. Yeah, I feel like I I really would like to play a second game because I, I mean, it probably would have been better to have played it relatively closer to the first game that I played because I now mm-hmm. have to relearn all of this. But um, yeah, I definitely feel like after having played that first round that I could make better choices now that I had a sense of how the game flows. Yeah, and I don't think it's a very heavy game because you learn those lessons so quickly, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're so clear after that first game that I, I feel like this game, while there's a lot of things to figure out as far as like iconography goes, and even that makes pretty good sense. Like it's pretty self-explanatory yeah, once bad. you get going. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just like there's a lot of choices, and, you, and if you're the sort of person who might be overwhelmed with choice, then this could possibly pro- be problematic. But that choice is also kind of mitigated by the number of Vikings you have because there's four columns of choices of actions on that board, and you're limited by each column requires a certain number of Vikings to take that action. So there's like a this takes one Viking, this takes two Vikings, this takes three, and this takes four. So there's four columns. Um, and so you you might only have three Vikings. Okay, I can just eliminate a whole column, right? Now I'm just looking at these other two. But also, you might have an idea of just, like, what sort of strategy you want to take. I want to go hunting. There's only, like, three hunting options on the board, you know? And so, like, if you just kind of, like, make a choice, it's not like, I don't know, it doesn't feel to me like you're weighing a bunch of things against each other that are very similar with, like, minor differences. You're weighing a bunch of things against each other that are clearly different from other things. And if you have an idea about what you want to try or what you want or what you need... Uh, the the path is fairly straightforward. Yeah, it's true. And uh, I kind of have, in thinking about this game over the last week or so, I've been thinking about uh, largely comparing it to Food Chain Magnate just because of the sort of scope of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel is is sort of similar in the number of choices that are offered and yeah. uh, the paths and things. And you don't want to neglect certain things totally, but it's usually better to like focus on one thing or whatever. Um, but I I got from Afo uh, a definite uh, sense of enjoyment that i did not get from food chain magnate and i think it's because yeah i think it's because it's a chill game it's not like you know in food chain magnate we discussed this before like if you make a wrong decision on a turn or you have like a wasted turn for some reason you're kind of screwed yeah Uh, i don't feel like that's the case with a feast road no definitely not this game is much more of a okay so it's one of those sort of almost competitive solitaire games right where mm. you are doing the best that you can do with what you've got and you're competing for, you know, it's it's a point rush game or a point score game where you're trying to beat the other people at a certain number of points. In something like Food Chain Magnet, you are literally competing over the bank. There's a finite amount of money there and only one person or two people are going to grab all that money and you're going to be left with nothing. With this game, you can have as many points as you can possibly get. I mean, there's enough boats and everything down there. There's enough islands that everybody can get something. Uh, so, yeah. 
you're not i think the only competition really comes in if somebody like chooses the action that you wanted to do yeah and that's just true for any action selection or worker placement yeah. game that's just one of the things that makes those games competitive but this is a game with i think it's like 60 some spaces on that board so Unlike Agricola, where somebody might have taken one of the 14 spaces that was available that turn, or even worse, like in um, uh, Affliction, Salem, right? Like yeah. one of the 10 or whatever, right? There's there's going to be plenty of other spaces where you might be able to do something that feels just as valuable to you as the thing that you had your eye on. Uh, and when you play in a four-player game, it also has some of those extra tiles that allow you to copy somebody's action. So. Uh, yeah. you know, even in, in a higher player count game, it mitigates that even further. Mm-hmm. I also, I mean, I think I like this a little bit better than Agricola because I, I think w- w- once your plans come to fruition, whatever mm-hmm. that happens to be, like, I think it's like a, a much more satisfying feeling. Like, yeah. Okay. So in Agricola, like I finally built my house out of stone as opposed to wood or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, okay, cool. I have a stone house now, but in like a feast for Odin, it's like, I've gone and colonized a freaking island. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, I've it, amassed a horde of treasures. Like It feels a little bit more tangible, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Especially yeah. with the, the sort of tableau building part, the Tetris part that you were yeah, talking about. I think that's the other thing that's very satisfying to me is is just the, the part of like, you know, covering up, just finding the perfect way to cover up this little corner of your board so that you don't happen to cover up this little bonus item you're going to get at the end of this round. But you also manage to cover up all the spaces below and to the left of the money thing. So now you can cover up the money thing. Now you're getting more money. Plus, yeah. maybe I just happen to have these blue items over here that I found out a way I could just like you know tuck these all up into the upper corner and cover up a bunch of negative points. There's this huge amount of satisfaction that you get out of like figuring out the perfect way to use those shapes that you've got the little tangram game going on here to cover yeah. up all the spaces on the boards that you're, you're acquiring that you start out with or are acquiring throughout the game to give yourself a better score, but also give yourself more stuff because they also start giving you more things per round too. Like there's little bonus, uh, bonus items that you can get for surrounding with, uh, with items or money or iron or whatever. And then you start getting more items every round and then you're getting more money when you start covering up the money tracks. And so I believe that that's also a big part of the satisfaction for me is that it's this nice, uh, it's this nice sort of loop of using the action selection to get the right stuff and then having that right stuff to then put on the board and play a really good game of Tetris. And that's fun. Oh, oh, oh. The right stuff. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no, but even the uh, even the feasting rounds, which are kind of like the scoring rounds, although I don't think you actually score anything You're not during scoring. Them. It's it's a negative score if you don't have enough food. Right, yeah, but you don't get any points. That's right. You, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. But like even the the scoring round, which in most games is sort of like you add this up and you subtract this stuff. The the, the scoring round even is its own little puzzle because you have to take the food bits that you have and make sure that you can fit them in the right way on the on the table. Yeah, and there's like certain restrictions there too, just like there is in all the different storage houses in your normal house and everything. Uh, so yeah, there's a little bit, there's like a little, and there's little tweaks to the puzzles depending on what board you're looking at. This is a food storage house, so it's got its own rules. This is your table where you feast, so it's got its own rules. This is your main house, it's got its own rules. And so like it's all sort of similar in how the puzzles work, but it just, the, the rules get tweaked here and there, and that keeps it interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found that was sort of a little disappointing to me, which, uh, and it's sort of a good disappointment. Like, I think this speech, I, no, I, I, I feel like it speaks to this. Stre- <laughs> it's a good disappointment because I feel like it speaks to the strength of the game as opposed to something that I wasn't enjoying about it, which is that um, I feel like I, I needed more time to do all the things that I wanted to do. Like, there was so much 
available to me and so yeah. many projects that I had like, you know, you know, uh, boiling in the back of my brain that I just didn't have enough time to do them all. Well, um, we played the short game too. We did play the short game too, but I uh, like for example, like I mentioned that I I went and colonized an island. I didn't get to use that <laughs> island nearly as much as I wanted to um because I just didn't have a whole lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, you get focused um, on covering up those negatives and then you don't do enough stuff that gets you in the positives. Right, yeah. Positive yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I so I feel this way with a lot of like um games that uh, have combat in them too but where combat is not sort of the mechanic for winning uh like twilight imperium for example like Mm -hmm. combat occurs but it's not really the point of the game (laughs) right it's just one particular aspect that you use to achieve these other goals right yeah but like because it's one of the sort of bigger and more colorful and more interactive parts of the game i guess like people tend to focus on it and then they get bogged down in that and lose sight of the fact that they're yeah, actually they supposed the to be getting points yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i yeah. kind of felt that way a little bit yeah, yeah 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 i think on the first game i think that that's going to be an issue it's just a little, same thing with twilight imperium right i mean you get kind of distracted with the the bright shiny parts of the game without thinking about these other parts uh that maybe didn't catch your attention immediately uh, yeah but yeah i i think that had we played a second game you would have ended up playing quite differently Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I like this game a lot. I like how it feels like you can go down many different avenues of strategy, and that makes the game feel a little bit different each time. I feel like you learn something every time you play the game, and like we said, it's a very chill experience, even though it's a competitive game. It's one of the more relaxing games that I've played in a long, long time with other people. Uh, mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, it's just it, I feel like there's a really high amount of satisfaction with how the game plays. Yeah. I also feel like it's one of the Euros that does a relatively good job of incorporating theme. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting. They they add, I think there's like two or three rule books in the in the box, and one of them is literally just like an appendix that like tells you some of the history of the items and things involved oh, in the that's game. Cool. Because there's uh, apparently like the, the the guys that design this game are really into the historical accuracy of the whole thing. So awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I think uh, the, the drawbacks of this game—it's huge, it's expensive. Yeah, uh, it's a. I was, I was just going to ask. I was like, so how much does this game run? <laughs> I think MSRP is a hundred dollars, but obviously you can get it cheaper than that. Um, you know, through various avenues, whether it's online retailers or I think some shops will even like list it. Uh, you know, your your brick and mortar shops sometimes I've seen it under like more around ninety or whatever. Maybe MSRP is ninety. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a it's a big expensive game but there's a lot in there i mean you're paying for a whole lot of wooden cardboard um and that also that's also one of the drawbacks because it takes a while to set up it takes a while to put away um but you know it's a game that you're going to be sitting down and playing for a good hour and a half to two hours so you know hopefully that's worth it and i find it worth it yeah i think i think for most people that are into board games would really find the experience worthwhile yeah I, I think that if you're the kind of person that's played something like agricola and I, i've heard that caverna is you know the similar similar sort of flavor of euro game and you don't mm-hmm. like it then i'm not sure that you're going to enjoy feast for odin either unless you just happen to really like the idea of the tetris style game going on uh the sort of patchwork part of the game uh if right. that's appealing enough to you then maybe you would see the rest of it like the action selection is just a means to an end so that you can play your little tetris game uh, but otherwise, I'm not sure that it's for you. If you're the kind of person that does enjoy uh, worker placement,
movement, uh, if you enjoy these sort of like Tetris games at all, uh, then I think that this is a game that you should definitely check out and try out. I, you know, like it's difficult to recommend going out and purchasing a game that costs ninety or a hundred dollars uh, sight unseen, but I, I would definitely say try this out if you can. And it's definitely, definitely a game that I try to. I think I'm going to be breaking this out ahead of Agricola anytime somebody wants to play something of this weight and type of game from now on. Yeah. I For me, it would sort of be a limited audience. Um, I mean, I have friends that enjoy heavy Euro games, but we we don't play them very with them very often because they're sort of busy people. And mm-hmm. So when we get together, we try and play things that we sort of Old know how to play or... so we can sort of maximize our time and, and that kind of thing. But... Um, but I would definitely play it again, like given the opportunity. Well, that'll be next time you're here because there's no way I'm toting that thing to Boston. <laughs> you need another suitcase for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> All right. Jason, All right. did we have any emails? We did. Ooh. Oh. Ho. Oh. <laughs> oh. Um, so we have a question from Todd. Hello, Todd. Uh, it, says, <laughs> it says, Dear Kyle and Jason. Your discussion of the fire dog character from Flash, Flashpoint Fire Rescue reminded me of how much I love animals in board games. I even love the dog helper in Robinson Crusoe, despite the fact that it is little more than another cube on the board and is mechanically inferior to Friday in almost every way. <laughs> so what is your favorite animal, character, NPC, or otherwise from a board game? The That's goat. Todd. The goat from Seventh Continent. <laughs> I, I forgot about the goat. From the Seventh goat, definitely, yeah. <laughs> You can sacrifice the goat. You cannot sacrifice the goat. The option, the the the, the clear answer is definitely bring that goat with you. But there are, <laughs> there are some definite benefits to sacrificing the goat as well. But the goat from Seventh Continent, <laughs> the stretch goat. He was a stretch goat. Uh, for me, I feel like it, it sort of begs the question: like, are you talking about like normal animals or like any kind of animal? So, like, knock yourself out. What's your favorite? Well, fantasy animals. Like, I definitely like like Cthulhu animals. I like. <laughs> The Hounds of Tindalos. Yeah, like I mentioned the Hound of Tindalos last time. So, uh-huh. like, yeah, so that kind of thing. Um, but if we're talking like real world uh, stuff. Um, the there's one uh, one character, one investigator in Arkham Horror that comes with a dog. Yeah, um, Ashcan Pete. Ashcan Pete. That's right. And his dog's name is Eddie. I think. Uh, I can't. Remember the, that doesn't or, sound right. I can't remember what the dog's name is, but sometimes I'll pick Ashcan Pete just because he comes with the dog. <laughs> Duke. Duke, that's Duke it. Duke is the dog's name. Yes, good name for a dog. Yeah, uh, I believe that they're <laughs> in the second, the, the Dunwich Horror expansion for the card game. Oh, really? Yeah, you start with Duke. He's one of the only oh, allies you get to start with in that game. Awesome. Try it out. Yeah, I, en- I enjoy, I mean, even though it's just a standee and there's not a separate one for Duke, it's just a card. I, just, I still enjoy the Thanks for that idea. awesome question, Todd. Uh, I, anytime somebody allows me a chance to remember the goat from Seventh Continent, that's a good moment. <laughs> now right. if you would like to email us and ask who our favorite vikings are or viking related <laughs> characters or any other question you might have how would they do that jason okay so questions about favorite characters from board games or anything else can be sent to lpt the podcast that's all one word at gmail.com uh, you can tweet us at limited playtime or you can go to the website uh, limitedplaytime.com which will reroute you to the mazer.com which is where we are currently hosted Next week, we are going to do our best to talk about Whistle Stop, a game Whistle. we played at Gen Con, uh, which now feels like a year ago. Um, <laughs> but we're pretty sure it had something to do with trains and maybe some little colors or something like that. So look forward to that about a podcast that maybe has to do with trains next week. <laughs> trains and colors. That's right. It's It'll be a fun time. The wrong colors. 
<laughs> choo choo full steam ahead thanks for listening everybody we'll see you in one week later bye Welcome to the Lohausen.